Mic check, mic check, what's going on? Welcome into another episode of the KZ Community Beat. It's a very special one. It's episode 50. Do, 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 do. I don't have sound effects, but maybe I'll get some petty cash this year. Anyways, my guest for episode 50 uh, from the Greater Peoria Economic Development Council, the CEO, Chris Setti. Welcome in, brother. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, man. I, um... I, I check in on 25 News daily for, you know, show prep, all that. And an article stuck out to me. It was an article with you in it talking about how we had expected a downfall for the economy in Peoria, but it actually was a lot better than we expected. Yeah, you know, I think I think nationally we were expecting, or maybe even, I should say, maybe even globally, we were expecting a recession, right, to happen. That was uh, a big, you know, like, the, Right, that's thing. what all the economists were bracing us for, uh, was there was going to be a recession, uh, you know, high inflation. We did get high inflation, uh, but it never really turned into the recession, at least in the in the way that recessions are traditionally defined, right? With a, a um, negative growth in, in gross domestic product, high unemployment rate. We didn't really ever see that. Uh, and so as we moved through the year, that thought, oh, maybe we have dodged this. So now there's some concern, right? In 2024, we mm-hmm. might see it, but I don't know. So, you know, going into... 2023, all of us were kind of preparing for, okay, what happens if there are mass layoffs or there's a downturn or people stop spending money? Um, and, and it just turned out that that, you know, that wasn't the case. You know, uh, uh, I think here in Peoria, uh, we, you know, our, our economy is both, so I always say we have three kind of three pillars of our, the economy in mm-hmm. Peoria. We have agriculture, manufacturing, and healthcare. Agriculture is agriculture, right? And the crops still grow. I mean, they, they can be weather related and there can be some uh, market pressures on on, um, on the cost of corn or the cost of soybeans or things like that. But for the most part, it's a relatively resilient industry for even downturns. Right? It in, grows. In the, right. It, it still <laughs> grows, right? And there's such a need, especially for what we grow here in corn and soybean, which goes into fuel and other sorts of uh, byproducts. Uh, those markets tend to be pretty pretty resilient as well. Healthcare, another, you know, people, unfortunately, people still get sick and yeah. they still need healthcare. And we have such an amazing healthcare sector we in really Peoria. Do. It's just amazing. Uh, it's actually our largest employer by industry, larger than manufacturing. Huh. And um, and we have not only, uh, I mean, every, every community our size has hospitals, right? Uh, what we have is a healthcare system. We have... Um, you know, not only secondary care, but tertiary care, and a new word I just learned, quaternary care, which I is like... I have no idea what that is. I, I didn't either. I had to actually look it up. It's the fourth level. So you know well. the word <laughs> primary, secondary, and tertiary, one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. Then somebody said quaternary. And what that means is we have some services that are so specific and so specialized that you can only get them in very few places. Well, so yeah. cancer treatment uh, that OSF is doing uh, with their new cancer center um, is one of those. There's only you know, seven or eight of these machines around the country. So this is like that extra level of service. So that even if a community is struggling economically, um, the fact that uh, people have to come into this community from outlying areas to get medical services helps to bolster that part of the economy. And then our last part of the economy is manufacturing. And manufacturing is super strong in in central Illinois and in, in the Peoria area. Um, it tends to be a little bit more sensitive to what's happening outside of Peoria, right? We're not making things at uh, Komatsu and Caterpillar and Liberty Steel that Peorians use. 
We use some of those things, but the world uses those products. I mean, uh, Komatsu makes the world's largest mining truck, and not one of them is used even in the United States. They're used up in Canada uh, and mostly in South America and Africa. Uh, huh. These are for large mines, right? So it doesn't, you know, things could be going great or poorly in Peoria, and that's not going to impact Komatsu. It's all about uh, copper, the price of copper, and if somebody wants to be pulling copper out of the ground. Same with bulldozers in, uh, that they make it in East Peoria for, for Caterpillar. You know, we, uh, so the, 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 the world economy has its impact on our local economy in that way because less people need bulldozers, then Caterpillar is going to make less bulldozers and employ back. less people to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but, and luckily, though, in this, that's the area that we think is, would be the most sensitive, right, to any sort of global or national downturn. But we didn't see that in the United States or really across the or across the globe. So our our sectors here stayed relatively strong. Those are the people. Those are the sectors that employ people that then go out to eat at grocery at uh, restaurants and shop. So everything kind of was okay. I wouldn't say you know our economy didn't go gangbusters in 2023, but relative to projections, it did. Uh, hmm. And that is never to diminish the individual impact that economic conditions might have on a family or our pockets of poverty. So I always, I'm pretty sensitive to when I say the economy is doing well, doesn't mean it's doing well for everybody. Uh, we have a, you know, we still have so some significant issues, right, in, in Peoria and in the country, again, around, you know, pockets of persistent poverty. And so, uh, um, so anyway, so what just, I always hate when I say something like, the economy is doing just great. And somebody who's listening to this goes, well, not for me. I lost my job or I can't find work. No, that's we great. recognize that on an individual basis, it might be different for folks. But on an economic level for yeah. the town right. or for our city, rather, yeah. it is performing at a decent level enough and, to keep and, jobs afloat Yep, and uh, keep food on the table. And there, there are there. hundreds, if not thousands, of jobs open for those who can could, you know, can take them. We, we manage a job board uh, at our organization uh, has about 115 companies on it. Um, it's jobs.peoria.org. Might as well throw that out there. Nice but plug. There's I love over, it. Yeah. <laughs> over, um, I mean, there's over 1,100 jobs posted on that board right now. 1,100. Now, now, they are not necessarily all entry-level jobs, you know, so you might have to have a certificate in to be a CNA or, or a welder or a truck driver. But, you know, if people who have those sorts of certificates, that sort of credentials, we'll call them, um, there's lots of jobs available. Uh, you know, right now, and and it, you would expect if we were having a if we were in a bust cycle, right, um, we wouldn't have any jobs available. Uh, but but still, the number one issue that employers tell me when we talk to them is they can't find enough people uh, to do the you know to do the work. Really? Yeah. Now, what contributing factors have they uh, assessed or uh, come up with that contribute to that factor? You know, I think there's a I think there's a lot of Things again. This is this isn't a Peoria alone problem. This is a national problem that that employers are talking about. Um, I think that you know COVID really changed the way people even think about work, um, and and their need. There you know there are a lot of other ways to make money now that there weren't 10, 15 years ago in what we would call the gig economy. Yeah. So you know when you were uh, had to stay home during COVID, maybe you lost your job at a restaurant or you know a place that had to close down. You found a way of, of, of staying afloat because you became an Uber driver or an Instacart deliverer or uh, you door dashed or fans only. You know, uh, well, you know, people <laughs> learn how to make money right, yeah. and get by. And maybe 
uh, two-income households learned uh, because their kids had to stay home uh, from school, and so somebody had to not go to work to watch the kids while they were e-learning, and they figured out they could, you know, they could make it work uh, with without it. Um, I think there's still some significant barriers to employment, especially for our, our more um, disadvantaged communities, transportation, childcare, just economic resiliency in general. If you don't have, um, if you don't have wealth, and wealth is just kind of defined as the money you have left over after you pay all your bills, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> if you, sometimes it's not really there either. Right. Know? Right. You know. So uh, if you don't have um, you don't have the ability, if, you know, if maybe you've got a car that gets you to work, but maybe it has a flat tire and you don't have money to get new tires mm -hmm. uh, or uh, the, the, the babysitter calls sick. Right. And you don't have a way of, you know, of, of, of accommodating those things. That just kind of wears people mm -hmm. down. And, Bills pay, but you don't have enough to get groceries. Right. So all of those things are, are also in play. Uh, I think we have some just generational differences, uh, quite frankly. And I, I've said this publicly before. I'll say it again. I think our employers need to think differently about how they how they do employment, right? How they how so? Well, I mean, maybe uh, you know, maybe the fact I, I remember talking. This was a couple of years ago. I talked to a local company here um, who was struggling for workers, and they couldn't understand why they couldn't get anybody to come to work for them. And I said, "Well, what what are you paying?" I said, and they said, thirteen dollars an hour." This is when the that was the minimum wage. I said, "Well, maybe you need to raise how much you're paying people because there are people that'll." pay them more. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you just got to be more competitive. Sometimes you need to maybe understand where your employees are coming from. So if your attendance policy is uh, overly strict mm -hmm. or strict, um, you know, I, 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 and, you know, what are your HR practices as a company? How are, where are you looking for employees? Are you just putting ads in papers that nobody's reading? Or are you, you meet, know, meet what's your, your onboarding yeah. process? There are all sorts of things. So I think both sides of this equation need to look differently at how uh, potential employees have to understand, you know, that um, the jobs are hard and sometimes you gotta work hard and you have to show up on time and you have to, uh, you know, be nice to your coworkers and all those things that, you know, maybe some of that decency and common sense have been eroded over the years by social media. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. um, and you just can't yell at your boss because you don't like them, yeah. uh, right? <laughs> you know, um, but, but also employers have to understand that they're dealing with a new generation some new you know new ways of thinking and and different economic pressures and then they have to adjust as well have you seen that locally here how businesses are starting to adapt to a new climate and culture i mean we've changed drastically like you said since COVID. before coming to town i got told downtown was moving jumping it was a completely different element than what it, it is. is now i think it, it depends on the employer right so we have certainly seen um the impact of COVID on going to work, going to the office. Now, this doesn't, you can't be a, a nurse uh, yeah. <laughs> remotely. Well, you can't be a bedside nurse remotely. Actually, there's lots of nursing that's on, that's virtual, but hmm. well, there's a different, 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 different podcast. Topic, yeah. Right. <laughs> you can't work for Morton Industries from your home, right? You got, if you're a welder, you're a welder at a, at a place that does welding. Yeah. So, uh, but we have seen from, from our offices, you know, from the places like OSF downtown, you know, facility that, you know, they're, you know, they're not requiring their workers come to work every day, you know, to the office. It might be three days a week. Caterpillar, kind of the same thing. They may have some more flexible policies where prior to COVID, they're like, no, you're going to be in the office at eight o'clock every day. You're going to leave at five o'clock every day. Um, and so there's been that just to accommodate their employees and what their employees found that they could do. Um, on, on more of the you got to show up type jobs, um, 
I've, I've seen some examples of companies who have just tried to do things different, um, creating incentives for, you know, for people who, who stay longer. Um, there's a company uh, in Pekin, Excalibur Seasonings uh, in Pekin, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, uh, but they changed their, um, their shifts around. Uh, so instead of four eight-hour shifts or five eight-hour shifts where you work 40 hours a week, they went to three 12-hour shifts. Uh, and they, oh, wow. uh, and so they had a Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday shift and a, um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday shift. How was that received? And from what, this was a couple, this was about a year and a half ago. I had this conversation. The employees loved it because, you know, they, they were, and I, I think the, the rule was if you worked 36 hours, you get paid like you worked 40. So if you made all 36, you get paid like 40. So that four was right. covered by that. Yeah. And so, huh. but now all of a sudden you've got a four day weekend yeah. every week. So that's a different way of thinking about your job because you're we're plugged in as Americans, you know, to think, oh, the work week is Monday through Friday, nine to five, nine to five, right? Or eight to five or whatever it is. Sometimes you just got to think differently. Is there a way we can do this better as a company that might, you know, then now if you've got child care issues, uh, you don't have five days worth of child care. Yeah. You've got three days of child care issues. If you have transportation that frees up issues, some more you funds. have to have 10 rides to and from work. You have to have six rides to and from work. So huh. it doesn't work for every company. Some companies aren't going to be able to do that. But it's about um, thinking differently, both mm-hmm. as the employer and as the employee. Have you seen, I mean, you've been doing this for how long now? It says you had 10 years before coming here in uh, Yeah, I mean, I've Chicago, been a professional Denver. for 28 years now. 28 years. So I've, in one way or the other, I've done economic development for 18. So have you seen companies that tried to adopt that four-day weekend and it's failed for them or it's uh, succeeded on either side? Well, again, as I remember when talking to Excalibur Season 6, it was, being, it was doing really great for them. They, they hmm. you know, they, they were, um, you know, that their employees really appreciated and they saw higher productivity. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure that there are companies out there that have tried and failed yeah. at, at doing something different. And, and sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think that uh, in the environment we're in where there's a, uh, I don't call it a labor shortage, but there's certainly some stress in the labor market. Everybody's got to be creative about doing something different. Mm-hmm. So you've been doing this for years. Why, what got you into this business, man? Well, you know, by accident, can I just say that? Yeah. Is it all right if I say I have, uh, I had no plan to ever be, I didn't even know that economic development was a thing. Um, I'll be honest. I, now, until I read the article, I was like, "Oh, yeah. look at this." <laughs> well, you know, I uh, I was uh, I was in social services. I worked um, with in homeless services originally out of college in Chicago, and then I worked in youth services. Uh, I worked. I ran um, some mentoring programs for at-risk youth and young adults. Oh, really? That and I did is that cool. in Chicago, and then in Denver. Uh, um, and uh, my wife, who's from Peoria, uh, who and uh, who I met in Chicago. Uh, we moved out to Denver when we got married. Then we moved back here, and I was still working at that same organization that did um, youth mentoring, uh, and a national is a national nonprofit organization. And, and then uh, that company kind of just went out of business. Basically, it's long story, uh, um, short long story. Uh, but they were all of a sudden um, they were out of business, and I was out of a job. Damn, yeah. uh, and uh, a friend of mine, who's now the county administrator in Peoria County. Uh, had said to me, hey, the city of Peoria is looking for an economic development specialist. And I'm almost positive I said to him, what's that? <laughs> uh, but I uh, but I applied for this yeah. job uh, and was interviewed and they hired me. 
and it was the kind of an entry-level position in the city of Peoria's economic development department. I didn't know, I, uh, I didn't really, I had no training in it. I, I happened to have my master's in public administration, which I had gotten when I was in Denver. Um, and an MPA is kind of like an MBA uh, for uh, the public sector. Uh, we like to say it's an MBA for people with a conscience. You get your MBA. MBA but, with yeah, a yeah. conscience. Uh, I'm sure there's somebody out there who's been offended now by that. But, uh, but it was that was nice. Right? I like that. Yeah. It was it was to make. I got that to make me a better nonprofit executive, uh, not to go into public, you know, into public sector work to help to feed say, that right. uh, nourishment. Right. Of that well, I mean, that's what it. my career trajectory at that time was in nonprofit work, and I yeah. was like, well, I want to be an executive director someday, and so the management classes were more geared towards that. But I had this MPA after my name, and I think that helped me get on with the city because that's what a lot of city managers and planners and others nice title have, it, yeah. have that those credentials after their name. Um, so I got to work for the city for uh, 12 years. And I had a, I had a, I had a bunch of different jobs. Uh, I had a bunch of different titles. They all kind of felt like the same job after a while. <laughs> um, you know, I always had my hand in economic development when I was in the city. Either I was directly in the department. Um, I moved on to the city manager's office, and some of your listeners who uh, have been here for a while uh, might uh, recognize I was, the, I was the city's Six Sigma black belt, which was a, uh, Six Sigma was a, um, a management tool uh, uh, that was invented actually by Toyota, uh, or not invented by Toyota, kind of widely adopted by Toyota and Caterpillar, and everybody started adopting this management philosophy around data-based decision-making and how to wring efficiency out of, you know, or um, out of different processes and how do you fix things. So that was my, I got trained to be a Six Sigma uh, and I worked projects at the city, like helping, like I remember I, I ran a project in animal control, uh, animal control. how to like, how to improve the rate at which, you know, people um, re-register their pets uh, every year. It kind of, it, it felt, it was it was important, but it also kind of like in hindsight didn't feel that important. But I was that was my job was to kind of go around. But I always kind of ended up doing some economic development stuff um, and then uh, was in the city manager's office and was uh, asked to serve as the assistant city manager. And I was I was the, uh, the ACM for six years, seven years, maybe at, towards the end of my career at the city. Um, and then they also said, would you be the director of economic development as well? So I was the city's director of economic development probably mm. for the last four years, I'd say. Kind of all, it all kind of blurs together yeah. now. And so I, so I, I don't know if I got any good at economic development, but I, I made a career of it um, and learned a lot kind of on the fly. Yeah. And so at the city, a lot of my jobs were very local. So I did a lot of the warehouse district. Some of the earliest stuff in the warehouse district um, were projects I got to work on. So Zion Coffee. Which um, is real nice. I've been there a yeah, couple times. Um, that building, uh, the Murray building where Rodell's is, mm. um, the persimmon lofts, sugar. I got to work on all those early warehouse district projects. Obed and Isaacs, which is not in the warehouse district, but it's in um, downtown Peoria. I like that spot. On the nor near north side of uh, downtown. Um, those were all projects that I got to work on. It was it was a ton of fun. I, I got to work on the Pear Marquette project, which was interesting one for sure yeah uh and I'm like, there's a whole thing with that yeah, there was a couple <laughs> projects i worked on that never went anywhere uh yeah. you know and that happens i've uh but uh but it was great i loved working for the city of peoria i loved uh, i loved being um in the mix 
of things. I actually just I ran into a guy today. Uh, um, it was my old boss's uh, 82nd birthday today. So oh, happy shout birthday, out Henry to Holling. Henry, uh, he hey. was the uh, assistant. He was the city manager for a short time, um, and uh, but we we were celebrating his uh, um, his birthday at Georgia Shoeshine. Uh, just right across the street, yeah. uh, down the street from here. And uh, there was a guy there. His name is Ken. He's 92 years old. And uh, I introduced myself to him. He says, oh, I, I know who you are. And I said, oh, really? He says, yeah, you helped me a few years ago with a problem in my neighborhood. Now, I don't remember this. I just don't remember it. It's I don't part remember of the it job. at all. Yeah, part of the job. Um, but he says, yeah, you helped get some abandoned houses uh, um, demolished by the city. These were empty, abandoned houses that were falling apart in his neighborhood. And I and that was a fun part of the job was to help kind of solve problems. Uh, but then six years ago, I had the opportunity um, uh, to take over this organization that I am now, the Greater Peoria Economic Development Council, which is a regional economic development group. Uh, so not just Peoria, not just the city, um, but but uh, we cover Peoria, Tazewell, Woodford County, and then also Mason and Logan counties. Uh, Mason is where Havana is. Uh, Logan County is, is where Lincoln is, so halfway kind of between here and Springfield. Um, and this was an opportunity for me. Um, I didn't, uh, I, I really loved working for the city. I had no desire to be its city manager. Just not, I'm not cut out for it's it. It's not your thing. God bless uh, Patrick Urich and, and the, the, you know, city staff. You know, it's a. Too it's much a, politics? Uh, it's just, it's just not the kind of. Thing that I was issued. Like, I love the economic development part. You see more like hand, boots on the ground, yeah. hands in the but mud. You know, and, and city management is a great calling. It's a great profession. And I enjoyed my time working for the city of Peoria, but I wasn't interested, quite frankly, in negotiating union contracts and um, and dealing with the city council. We have an amazing city council. They're great individual people, but it's, but that, you know, l- listening to citizen complaints and having to be reactive to all of that. Um, after a while, it's just, not what I wanted to do. It's a, also a huge stress level. It would well. burn you out. But I really loved Peoria, and I didn't want to. So I loved economic development, and I loved Peoria. Um, and so this was an opportunity to do what I love in the community I mm-hmm. love, which was to be the the head of this regional organization, um, which really works. I work very closely with the city of Peoria uh, because it is the largest city. It is the economic driver in the region. Um, but I also get to work with the fine people in East Peoria and Washington and Pekin and Morton. Um, and really come to understand and value that we really are a region, right? We're not mm. just one city. Um, we're and a huge good, community. Yeah, good yeah. things happening anywhere are good for everybody. So your airwaves are not limited, right? That's not like, even though we're here in you know the 12th, uh, 12th floor of a building in downtown Peoria, the radio waves don't stop at the border mm-hmm. of the, or they don't, they don't stop at the river, right? Uh, so we have this really amazing region that we call Greater Peoria um, that has so many things going for it. And my organization tries to put itself at the center of, of, of ensuring those good things keep happening. Um, you know, there's I, I love the story that you have. You, you have this passion as you talk about not only just accomplishments, but the assistance you'll be able to provide a city that you fall in love with, right? Yeah, yeah I'm not from, I'm from yeah. Burbank, California. And I think there's one thing that as soon as we touch base on the phone before recording the podcast, you told me like, oh yeah, I, you know, I'm not a pure native. I, I just immediately assumed. Yeah. Um, and you've been here since what, 2003? 2003. Well, I've actually lived here longer than I've lived anywhere. And I grew up in LA. I grew up yeah. in Los Angeles suburbs of Burbank. And I lived there for the first 18 years of my life or 
I lived in Southern California for the first 18 years of my life. I lived here for 20. So yeah. I don't, does that make me a Californian or does that make uh, me a Peoria? I think you're a Peoria. Yeah. You're P-Town crazy right, now. Yeah, right. I think I'm born and raised Chicago. In April, it'll be two years yeah. officially I've been here. And every month that goes by, I start falling in love with more things about the city. Um, for me, I feel like Peoria and the surrounding areas just have this huge heart of just giving. And what are some things that you have immediately attached you with the community when you started living here year by year? Like, what has been some takeaways that yeah. uh, from other transplants? You're like, hey, it's a great spot. Come hang out with us. So I, there's a lot. I always, when I say I love Peoria, I also recognize that people recognize that I'm paid to love Peoria. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. and that, and I always want to claim that because, but when I say that I, I love this place, it is not because my job is to be that way, right? I am not being, I am not, I am being um, genuine when I say that. Um, I met my wife in Chicago. We we're both working. I we joke. We met at the homeless shelter. We we're both working in the homeless services. Oh, that's uh, awesome. At the time, and yeah. so we started dating. And um, she's like, "Hey, I'm, I'm. Oh, where are you from? She's, like, I'm from Peoria, but don't worry, I don't ever want to move back there." And I said, "Okay, I don't even know where Peoria is, right? Because I'm from LA. I live yeah. in Chicago." Um, you know, I, I knew I had heard of Peoria, right? Um, but but I, I had no idea. And every time we came down here early on, like in our when we were dating, we just hung out with her parents. We didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, we came down here for the weekend for like Easter dinner, right? And so you didn't really do anything. So I had no real connection to this place other than my wife was from here. We moved to, you know, got married, moved to Denver, had our first daughter, uh, wanted them to be close to family. And L.A., just didn't make sense financially for two social workers or two people involved in nonprofit work. Well, not yeah. even actual social workers. It seems like a high life over yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it, and it just did. It just didn't make any sense. Even my parents understood. They would have loved for me to have come home, uh, but the housing market's crazy. Well, here in Peoria, we knew that we could build a life that we could afford, um, and uh, and and I think that's one of the things that. Is, is to me is is so impressive about Peoria and and when again when I say affordable I realize there are people that struggle to afford it so I'm kind of coming at it from my own uh, understanding my own privilege when I say affordable we don't have the cheapest housing market in America there are cheaper places to live but affordability to me is the is the ratio between the amount of money you make and the amount of money you spend. And in for you know, for people who are able to have good jobs, you know, in, in a community, this is an incredibly low cost community that I think has some really great qualities to it. Not it, certainly recognizing there are a lot of faults too. And mm -hmm. there I, I, I have lived all over the country and I will tell you that every place has bad things in it and every place is struggling in one way or another. Um, and so uh, there's nothing perfect about Peoria, uh, but I think we're striving and I think we're working on it. Um, and just like we are all imperfect human beings that need to be worked on, uh, you know, either internally or externally, same too with Peoria. So work um, in progress. It's a work in progress. We're all works in progress, yeah. right? Um, and so uh, when I think of the things that I've been able to do here and the, the quality of life um, that I have, we have great restaurants. Uh, we don't have a lot of great. I mean, and when I say we don't have a lot of great restaurants, there's not a restaurant in every corner like in Chicago, right? Yeah, it's but but crazy but we have Chicago. some really we have some really great uh, um, uh, uh, restaurants. We have a great 
downtown in its own ways, right? We have a great riverfront. We have really amazing natural amenities. Um, we have, uh, like I said, a, 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 an affordable housing where I live in the Uplands neighborhood up by Bradley University. Um, I have fallen in love with my neighborhood and with my neighbors and the kind of the community that we have built in that, uh, you know, in, in that neighborhood. Um, and you know, another thing I love about Peoria is that if you want to get away, you just get away. You just, you just We're drive two to and a half. Yeah. Yeah. You're two and a half from <laughs> Chicago. You're two and a half and change from, uh, St. Louis. Yeah. You know, go somewhere different. You know, Bloomington's got a different scene, you know? So if you want to go see music, you can go to the, you know, you can go see a big show at the, at the Peoria Civic Center. You can go a small show at the Castle Theater in Bloomington, right? There's, there's all kinds of stuff around us. Um, and the, the variety that Peoria provides to people, I think, is a real value. So I often say it this way, that you can have any life you want in the city of Peoria or in the Peoria area, and you'll still be 15 minutes away from everything you didn't choose. You want to live in, a, you want to live in an urban loft? Yeah. You want to live uh, in a reclaimed barn house? You want to live in a suburb? You want to live you know, uh, in a van down by the river? <laughs> you can do all that thing, but everything's really close. You're from Chicago. Yeah. If you were at home, wherever you grew up, you said you grew up on the south side of Chicago, how long would it take you before you got to the country? <sighs> it would take you at least an hour. Yeah. On a good day, an hour. Because I was right by White Sox, and I went to school out in Romeville, Joliet. That was yeah. 45 minutes, and okay. that's when it starts to become more, like, suburban. A little bit more <laughs> yeah. suburban, but not really rural for yeah. a little bit longer. Um, now until so, past, like, Larkin you and know, everything. I, I grew up in, in California. It would take me an hour to get to the first anything grown at a commercial scale. Yeah. Right. You know, um, here you can you could get to see your corn grow and, you know, grow and be harvested and grown again. Uh, you can uh, take advantage of the Illinois River and these beautiful bluffs. You can go to a Broadway show at the Peoria Civic Center. You could see a nationally touring, you know, concert at the at the Civic Center. You can eat a fine meal at a place like Arter, get a good cup of coffee at a place like Zion. There's all of those things that you might expect out of a bigger city and on top of that we yeah. have a growing market of like minority-led food businesses absolutely and i've been seeing uh, i've heard with the last three years it's starting expanding now we have more transplants coming to town or even more citizens who are native to peoria starting businesses and i think there was over what they say here six million in grant money was given to more than 150 businesses this past year right those were all covid related grants yeah but yeah uh and and you know we have a great small business community here as well and and i just i just appreciate you know peoria i was i was up in chicago this was about maybe a year and a half ago and i was speaking to a group of brazilian startups that were oh, in sure. chicago yeah. um trying to break into the u.s market and uh, they gave me 15 minutes to pitch Peoria to these guys. And I went right after the Chicago guy. <laughs> um, we were the only two that got a chance to do this. It was kind of was able to weasel our way into this opportunity yeah. uh, because of a coworker of mine had a relationship with this organization that was putting this on. And the Chicago guy talked about, you know, uh, Chicago is 30% cheaper than either of the coasts. And, uh, um, and we have, it's a world, it is a world-class city, and there's the Bulls, and there's the Blackhawks, and there's, you know, all of this great stuff. And then he sat down, and I got up, and I said, everything that guy said is absolutely true. Chicago's a wonderful city, world-class city, world-class dining and entertainment. 
It is 30% cheaper than the coast, but guess what? Peoria is 30% cheaper than Chicago. <laughs> we have almost all of those same things at a different scale. We're only two and a half hours away from it if you want to get to it. But guess what? Most of you are going to go home and, and watch Netflix at home. You're not going to go to a Bulls game every night. You're not going to have season tickets yeah. to, 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 you know, whatever they're, uh, you know, to the Chicago theater. You, like the rest of us, just go home and watch TV <laughs> and, and, and hang out with your kids. Yeah. So do you want to do that in a high-cost environment? Um, and I think the other thing I really love about Peoria. That's a good sell is, point right there. Well, that's my job. Yeah, <laughs> my job to come up with stuff like that is uh, is a, is a, is a lack of traffic. You know? Yeah, fifteen minutes. I'm across town. Easy. Oh, and and that kind of gets Easy. back to the whatever ch- lifestyle you choose. You're only fifteen minutes away from the ch- yeah. lifestyle you didn't choose. Uh, traffic here is non-existent. I, mean, I heard I, someone complain about traffic a week ago. I'm like, brother, <laughs> you know, I don't want to hear unless you've been stuck in 55 or 290, 994 in the middle of rush hour. Like. Right. Or or not even in the middle of the rush hour. So I'm like, I'm from Los Angeles, right? You know, oh, so yours it's is the worst. Right. So I went from LA to Chicago to Denver and then to Peoria. That's kind of my trajectory. I said, huh. every place I moved to had a better traffic situation than the place I came from, but everybody complained about traffic just as much. Even here in Peoria, people complain about traffic and you know, if you've been stuck in the 405 freeway uh, through the Sepulveda Pass in Los I'm, Angeles at one in the morning. I'm good. You could be like, where, why do I live like this? Why am I, you know, I did a calculation a couple of years ago using U.S. Census data um, on the average commute time in Peoria County versus Cook County. So Chicago versus Peoria. Mm-hmm. And um, the difference in the average commute time was like six, you know, the average commute time in, in Cook County. Now, that's not DuPage or that's Will or anything. Like Cook that. County, yeah. It's like 26 minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, or, yeah. or maybe it was, yeah, somewhere around 26 minutes. And the average uh, in Peoria was like 15, something like that. <laughs> well, and that's, well, that's only a 10-minute difference. 10 minutes times 2 is 20. 20 times 5 is 100. You multiply that by 50 weeks, and then you divide by however many minutes or, you know, all of a sudden, you realize you are spending 2.6 days of your life in traffic more just by living in Chicago than in Peoria. And the cost. Fuel. The, co- the maintenance the on the car. What could you do with an extra two and a half days of your life every year? Watch more episodes on you Netflix, watch, brother. Right, that too, that too. But you understand that it, I mean, it might be good for radio, by the yeah. way, to be have more people stuck That's in the car I'm more often. I'm not complaining. But, Can you put uh, another traffic light up downtown? Yeah, right. Uh, but it is, it, and it's incredible how, you know, I, I we're... Uh, Taping this at three o'clock. I was actually working from home today. I looked down. It was two forty-five. Said, eh, I guess I gotta go. You got here early too. Yeah, and I got here early because <laughs> it only takes me four and a half minutes to get from the hilltop down here. So, I and that is I a real that. quality of life that I just I don't think that that people. Uh, I don't think if you've ever lived anywhere else, you recognize how good we have it here when it comes. Oh, yeah, because it's that stress aspect of things. Like, say, if I have to get downtown Pure, but I'm. Near Hacienda Mirador, up on mm-hmm. uh, Junction City, right? I could be down here in 15 minutes, easy, maybe 10, depending on Especially the light those situation. Lights hit on, on, if you hit all green down that, come right. out like that right. is a blessing. Thank you. Now I have to ask this from from just a a person standpoint, right? You fall in love with the town, you have all this X Y Z. How does it feel to actually move around a city that you can see physically see your additions to that town? Oh, I love it. Uh, it, it, it's it's uh, and and I get to do less of it now that I'm more of a regional role because mm-hmm. I don't get to like you know so there isn't a there isn't a building in the warehouse district I haven't walked in through now yeah, I mean, how where is not, that? whether or not they've been 
uh, um, renovated or not. I've I've walked through them at some point, and uh, I love it. It's such a it, it it it's cool, you know. And I can I don't think my my daughters care, but I thought, oh yeah, I worked on that project, you know. Uh, the, one of my very first projects was was called the Illinois Medical Center, which is on the campus of the University of Illinois College of Medicine, mm-hmm. right? Kind of as Main Street um, curves and comes down the hill. There's that big red brick building um, on the downriver side of, of Maine, and uh, and that was one of my first projects that I got to work on. And every time I drive by it, I still smile a little bit. And so, yeah, uh, it, it it was a fun part of my career to to get involved in some of those things. Now, we're talking projects, we're talking improvement. We've touched on the riverfront a little bit, but I heard there's this big new possible expansion to the riverfront that's going to include kayaking, a dog park, yeah. entertainment. Can you take me a little bit through this possible Yeah, new you know, um, now that's more of a city thing, So, but I'm aware of it because it's super important. And downtown Peoria is not just important to Peoria. It is important to the region, and everybody has to recognize that, right? If you're in Morton, if you're in Washington, if you're in East Peoria, if you're in the 5th District of Peoria, outlying the Dunlap area, downtown in Peoria has got to be important to, to you and to all of us, the business community and individuals, because it is what people will remember us by. It's beautiful. It, it is beautiful and it has a potential to be even better, right? So we've got this amazing riverfront that cities would kill to have, the riverfront mm-hmm. and the skyline that we have. Um, so it's a and perfect view, man. It Just is. Perfect. It, you come around that corner uh, yes. on I seventy four, and you're like, "That's a real city." I will tell it's you right a- now before we continue. The first time I knew, I was like Peorianish, yeah. And it's hard for me to say because I'm a proud Chicago, right. but it was after my first full year here. I was coming back from uh, Christmas, and I crossed by that bridge, and I just got this overwhelming sense of, "Oh no, this is my town. I'm now. home now." Yeah. Right. And it was very weird, but I saw the skyline. Yeah. I'm like, I'm used to a skyline, but right. for some reason it kind of had that uh, extra warmth aspect yep. to it. So the city of Peoria is really starting to focus on the riverfront again. I mean, and there have been, you know, uh, this was all before you got here. There have been a previous efforts to, you know. They, uh, there was a parking know, structure there, I There was told? a parking structure. It was kind of like a platform, and there were it was parking underneath, and then there were buildings on top of it. There, were, there was uh, restaurants. Oh. Uh, on top of it, but it just kind of never worked out. Um, but, you know, um, our riverfront is really important. And so the city of Peoria worked with um, State Representative Jahan Gordon Booth. And, and they were able to get they were able to get a $15 million grant uh, to do some work on the riverfront. Now, this stuff is expensive and $15 million doesn't get you nearly as far as you might think it would. But their idea is how do you make um, the riverfront what I would call active and um, an active area. So uh, passive parks just tend to be places you just walk. Active parks have things for you to do or ways for you to interact. Um, and so that may be having like a kayak launch or a canoe launch. That might be having a dog park, having some art, having some activities, whether it's maybe it's a small stage where, uh, you know, where they can have, um, uh, you know, bands play or do movies in the park or things like that um, to draw people to the, uh, to the riverfront. Um, and then hopefully those folks will um, will go on to eat at the Blue Duck or Ardor or Rhythm Kitchen, go to the museum. Or Generate the revenue Center. in the city. Yeah. Right. You know, that, that, you know, when you go to a really cool town, when you go to a city, you remember their downtown. You don't remember if you went and visited a friend in Boston, 
mm-hmm. or in Chicago even, and, and uh, that you a place you'd never been to before, and they happen to live in the suburbs. You're not going to remember what their suburb looks like. You're going to remember mm-hmm. what their downtown looks like, and that's what's got to be attractive. That's what gets people interested in the community. Nobody remembers your suburbs. Your remember suburbs are super important. That's not when I say that doesn't mean that our suburbs aren't important. But from a marketing standpoint, we're not we're not marketing your subdivision. We're marketing our downtown. And so it has to be as good as it can be. And, I, and downtown is changing, right? It used to be a center of employment. Um, uh, and, it, and it isn't anymore uh, because of COVID and just some of the changes, right? So we have a lot of empty office space. Yeah, I've been noticing, um, yeah. And this building that you, we are in right now, the 12th floor, this building was an office building. The it, entire building? The entire building was an office building. This floor... That, uh, that your radio stations are on is the the other 10 floors are all apartments now. Yeah. Because the need for downtown office space isn't what it used to be. Um, and so we need to think of downtown still being a place to work because we still have some important drivers of, of employment down here. OSF Healthcare, Caterpillar, law firms, banks. These are all still important parts mm-hmm. of having a, a downtown. But it also has to be a place where people visit and our Civic Center is an incredible, an incredible draw. It's to a the great region. venue to see But there's got to be, it's a great venue, and they're well-programmed. They have a diversity yeah. of things that, 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 you know, from Broadway plays to the symphony to Disturbed, right? Yeah, yeah. they were just here. I mean, just like like uh, country. Afro uh, Man was here like a couple, like a year ago or something yeah. like that. It was just every type of diverse act you could think about, whether right. it's country, hip-hop, rock and roll. Peoria is really good about bringing the artists into town. Right. So how do you get people who come to the Civic Center to stay in downtown? And instead of leaving the Civic Center and going right for their cars, mm-hmm. say, hey, let's go do something else. So that's all part of the system that the city's trying to build with improving its streets, right? The Adams and Jefferson Main Street, they have money to, to do some work along Main Street and then, fix, and then improve the riverfront as well. And then hopefully get a passenger rail to Chicago. That's the other thing that's out there. That is, the you know, that we may be talking about this a decade from now. Then the train finally pulls in because these things don't happen quickly. But it's all part of a strategy to improve downtown Peoria. So when it comes to strategies, what are some things that are within the next few years that we could see as major improvements happening in the t- in the city? Yeah. So from a Peoria standpoint, uh, I think the riverfront for sure. Um, is 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 what you'll see. I know they're working now to kind of unlock that money that the grant's been allocated, but not uh, or obligated, but allocated, or however they say that. So they don't have the money in hand. Just you know, but it, uh, but they're working on that, and I think we'll we will see some major improvements. Um, the they are starting the street work on Adams and Jefferson. Um, they're the going to make it two way. They're going to make it two way, which is not to be underestimated. The power of that, the warehouse district. Uh, Adams and Jefferson through the warehouse district was was a were, were a one way couplet, uh, and then we changed it from one way to two way mm-hmm. and improved the sidewalks, put in planters, put in lighting, and it wasn't until we took that step that all of those other developments happened. And it's interesting how that kind of like it's a little domino effect. Once one thing kind of starts picking up, and you start getting steam on things. I think. I, I think it's a couple of things. One, I, I say this a lot. Uh, people invest in places that are being invested in. True. So one thing leads to another, right? Um, and so, and sometimes it's the public sector that needs to make that first step. But when I was working on Ooh, the, what do you mean by that? That's well, interesting. because uh, sometimes it's the it's the public the, the the public sector that needs to say this is our you know 
This is where we need funding. Is, right. Well, this is our vision. And we're going to put some investment in that so that you can see that we mean business when we say this is our vision. So the warehouse district, as an, as an idea, started in 2007. We had a lot of pretty pictures. We created some economic incentives, um, and nothing happened. Now, mm -hmm. it was a poor timing. 2008, 2009, we were in a recession across the country, so nobody was doing really anything. Um, but then the city got $10 million in federal grant money. They got $10 million in state uh, grant money, and they put in about $5 million of their own, and they redid all of the streets in the warehouse district uh, that you see now. What you know, as somebody who just came here two years ago, you might not have realized what was just there 10 years before. It mm. was, it's called the warehouse district because there were a bunch of empty warehouses. Um, and uh, It named itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the minute, so 2012, I think, was when uh, we got those grants, and by 2014, um, you know, all that work was done. I might be getting my years wrong now. And that's when we started to see um, the private sector say, that's what, I used to put it this way, it was the city's job to build the frame mm -hmm. so that the private sector could paint the picture. So the, the public infrastructure needed to match the vision that we had for that area. So now <laughs> we fast forward to the city of Peoria and its image and its work on downtown Peoria. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be the same thing, right? We need this. If we want a walkable environment that has street level retail um, and has, you know, people that are, um, you know, enjoying downtown, you can't have five lanes going one way yeah. um, where people can easily drive 50 miles an hour down Adams Street. Right. That's not what you need. And and I will say that as important as Peoria's downtown is, all of our communities have to work on their downtowns. I was sitting with Mayor Phelan from uh, Peoria Heights yesterday. They've done such an amazing job with Prospect, and they're going to be doing more, more investment in Prospect. They got a East federal Peoria grant. is also doing things East too. East Peoria, what they've done with the Levy District. Yeah. Um, uh, Morton, Morton's downtown, Washington Square, Pekin's Court Street. These are all important. They're important for their own communities, so that they have a place that feels. Mm -hmm different and unique and a place for small businesses to grow, uh, but also for the entire region to have that vibrancy. Because I love Peoria, but sometimes I want to go somewhere else. And yeah. I go to uh, go to um, WTF Taco in Pekin, or I'll go to uh, uh, Kemp 208 in Morton, because they're different. And those are nice communities as well. I'm going to I'm going to dinner in Eureka tonight, right? Oh, nice. Great little community. Uh, it's called uh, um, Pickled Radish Provisions. It's a brand new restaurant in Eureka. Mm. Right. We have these great communities that are just right around us. So we should take advantage of those. So everybody investing in their own downtowns is important individually, but also collectively. So I'd be remiss if I didn't at least open this dialogue because I've done a lot of work in District 150. Yeah. And also now I'm starting to break in South End. And as I drive around both communities, I see a lot of businesses that are closed, uh, boarded up and just... I hate to say it this way, but it sometimes it doesn't look like it's safe to walk in some areas. And that's just for me being an outsider, just quick perspective from someone on the economical level. And we also have the public sector that we're talking about. What needs to happen for those areas to improve in five to 10 years? Yeah, you know, and it, that, that's a, your your observations are spot on. And we have some very difficult parts of our community um, for the people that live there, right, mm -hmm. who are and, and in many ways trapped there. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I think that from a, a public sector, again, I, this is a problem, uh, 
that is not Peoria's problem alone. I think it's a regional issue. Yeah. Uh, the, the the disparity that we have in Peoria is racial disparity, almost you know, not exclusively, but but pretty much you know, um, and uh, and and the entire region can't move forward if one little part of it is not moving forward. We kind of all go together. So I agree. You know, I think everybody needs to be concerned. Um, about poverty in, in Peoria. And we have some other, by the way, we have some other poor parts of our community in Pekin and parts of East Peoria and in some rural poverty. So, um, but but downtown or the south side of Peoria is one of the poorest zip codes in America. Um, and it, it's going to take some collective effort um, to reinvest. Um, the most important thing we can do, I think, is, is, um, is workforce training. Is give workforce people training. the skills um, because... Uh, this is this is a very American thing to say, but there's really no problem that money can't fix, right? That is a very American. It's a very American thing to say, but really, like you know, the problem that a lot of these families have is that they don't have enough money, and the best way to get money is through a job, and the best way to get a, a job that gives you enough money is to have the right credential and the right skills to take advantage of the jobs that are there. Oh, now, there's all sorts of other barriers, transportation, yeah. childcare, other things that all need to be worked on simultaneously, um, but. Uh, but we have a high school dropout problem, um, and we have uh, reading proficiency problems, um, and all of these things. We have a violence that, problem also. We have a violence problem. Yeah. They, they one thing leads to another, right? You know, um, violence. You know, is is a byproduct of poverty, right? You know. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. not exclusively. Obviously, there are plenty of violent rich people too. Uh, but you know, you you end up in a culture, right? But there's a causality yeah. of it. There's a causality of it, and I think it's it's. Uh, you know, um, there's a you know uh, um, the drug trade becomes uh, a. Um, I've noticed. It, yeah. it becomes it, it becomes a way of making money, right? You know, and 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 there's a lot of violence associated with the drug trade. So um, you know, we have a kind of a lack of lack of family stability. All of these things kind of stem from poverty. Um, you know, uh, single parent households or households you know where they're. Um, uh, they might have to work multiple jobs, or they're not working any jobs. Or there's, there's. Uh, but yeah, have, if you have parents that are working multiple jobs, kids unsupervised, unsupervised, and the community, you have a lot of mental health issues that stem from there's so poverty. many varying issues. Yeah. yeah, and then you have trauma on top of that. So yeah. you have young people who are dealing with trauma. They're seeing their parents in fights. They're seeing, you know, they are, um, they have instability in their own lives. So they find themselves. Um, Moving from house to house, uh, you know, like couch surfing, that, yeah. that causes trauma on a five-year-old, a six-year-old. They're yeah. aware that things aren't right, that, you know, that they, they could be hungry one day and not the next. Those all then impact their economic, uh, I'm sorry, their educational attainment. Uh, there's some real, real issues that are, and there's a, there's a faction in our society that just wants to blame uh, poor people for being poor without recognizing all of mm -hmm. how hard it is to not be poor. Uh, and, and that, um, you know, all of those bills that come due and how, how expensive it is just to live life at a, at a meaningful level and how that kind of trickles down. So this is, uh, this is, again, this is a big, this is a big issue, you yeah. know, but, um, on how are we addressing that? You know, so um, Illinois Central College, which I don't think we in Peoria realize how lucky we are to have a, a community college that is as progressive, not in the political progressive uh, word, but like they are forward thinking and entrepreneurial and doing things different. 
um, you know, to address some of these. And they have a great program called the Workforce Equity Program. Hmm. Uh, that is, you have to be from a low-income family. Um, they will put you into uh, training in a, in a program that will graduate you into a job that pays 30% more than the, per, than the living wage for the county. Um, you get paid while you are going to school, a stipend. Because even if school is free, quote unquote free, it isn't free if you have to quit your job to, to go to class. Or so they pay, pay for gas that you right. don't have to give. So they there. pay you to go to, to go to school. It's called an earn and learn model. Earn and they've learn. had 700 individuals come through ICC over the last few years. That's 700 individuals who are hopefully out of poverty and into a family sustaining wage job. We need more of that. We need our employers to uh, engage with ICC on hiring people who come out of this program. We need our social service agencies to understand what's available and guide people into the right programs. And we need families uh, and, and peer networks to value going to work and say, this is what you need to do to get ahead. Uh, you know, you see in, in, um, in um, sometimes in, in uh, very low income areas, when somebody is getting ahead, everybody else is, gets oh, down on them. Oh, like the crab well, and the bucket Well, there's the crab theory. Because uh, I've know, experienced that a few yeah, times in right. my life. Like, oh, you know, um, you know, so it's kind of like when you're the nerd in, in, in grade school. Oh, yeah, you're the smart kid, <laughs> right? And everybody else picks on the nerd. Like, shouldn't we value that right. somebody's got some brains? Look at that some brains? fool in band camp. Right, like, yeah. Dude, I'm playing um, instrument. Right, right. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know who else was a nerd? Was, Prince. Uh, uh, Prince was probably a nerd. Bill Gates was probably a nerd. Yes. And now we all work for him, right? Yeah. You know, so, but, but, you know, we have to be able to, we have to value success as well. And that's, those are, you know, uh, I, it's easy enough for me to say, I, you know, I, uh, uh, I grew up in a two-parent household and both my parents had jobs. They were blue-collar mm. household, but still... You know, so I, I recognize how difficult it is for a lot of these, um, a lot of families in these communities just to get by. And, you know, just as they are maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel, boom, it's slammed back on them because they have just one bad thing go wrong. A, a tire blowout, a head gasket blowout, yeah. their kid gets sick, they've got a, a, a medical bill, something bad happens and they are just off track because they don't have that kind of resiliency. So that's what organizations like the Community Foundation, like the United Way, um, like our social service agencies and our churches and our schools all have to be involved in all making sure those families, yeah. all those nonprofits. We have an amazing, you know, here's another thing you kind of, I don't know how long we've gone here now, probably a while. You just keep going. <laughs> I like this conversation, We'll just keep talking man. until uh, you run out of battery. Um, but uh, we have an amazingly generous community. Very much so. Um, uh, and I wish I could measure it. And one of these days I'm going to figure out how to measure it on a per capita basis. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm the, on the board of directors of the Community Foundation of Central Illinois. We have the, second lar we have the largest community foundation outside of, the uh, outside of the Chicago area in really? the state of Illinois. That's amazing. Our United Way is one on a per capita basis. Jennifer Zamuno doesn't ever want me to say this, but on a per capita basis, one of the best funded United Ways in the whole country. Really? Um, you know, we are, uh, you know, people, I just, you said, uh, I think it was W.E.K. I heard the story of a guy who gave um, uh, every employee at Gebby's $1,000 oh. because his wife died. And he was a longtime uh, patron. And so he donated a 30000 you know, that's, uh, those, those tearjerker stories happen across the country. They're not exclusive to Peoria. 
but it doesn't surprise me that it happened in Peoria. It either. just makes because, more sense here. Yeah, here you 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 have that sense. Um, you know, we call it Midwest nice. People are just nice here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, uh, nicer certainly than in Los Angeles, where nobody seems to care about anybody else. Uh, <laughs> How uh, many followers you have? That's right. that's when you leave right. the conversation. Um, <laughs> you know, and the stories you hear about New York City and the East Coast and things like that. I've been over there. Peoria is a nice place, and people are nice. And and I and I think even our business community. And I've said this before. You know, obviously, our there are elements of our business community that are in competition with each other, like banks, right? But I have even found that banks tend to work together, right? And uh, I just saw, so there was a restaurant in town um, that said they were they were struggling. It was a donut shop. So they're struggling. They might have to close their doors. And the first time I saw it was because another restaurant said, hey, I'm going over there tomorrow to figure out how I can use their products in my meals. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool to think that, you know, businesses that might be rivals with each other find ways of lifting each other up. And I mean, that's, that's I, I'm just going to pretend it only happens in Peoria because I'd like to think that it only happens in Peoria. Uh, you know <laughs> what? I can add to that because, um, and my consultants probably get mad that I'm even mentioning this, but um, one of our main competitors, Strictly Hip Hop, uh, Mark Supreme, shout out oh. to him, amazing guy. Um, in other markets, different competing radio stations aren't that cool. But Mark has tossed me multiple interviews for the podcast, has sent me business my way. And anytime I hear anything, I send stuff to him. And we've created this very much Peoria-esque type of working relationship where it's like, hey, I can't put this on my radio station. Can you put it on yours? And it's because it's better for the community. And I love that. I've never experienced that in my profession in 16 years. Yeah. And to have that moving here, that it adds to the factor of Peoria just has this huge heart that I'm starting to discover that um, they just want, people in Peoria just want to give back. I, yeah, you know, and I and I, I find that in the business community, too. And, and I think one of the values that we try to talk about when, you know, so I, I mentioned that I went up and talked to this group of Brazilian startups. One of them ended up moving here. Oh, nice. And, and opened, his, opened the, his first American, North American office um, of DigiFarms, which is an ag tech software company is located in the Peoria Next Innovation Center of Bradley. Uh, and that's all because my colleague uh, knew the people that were running this sh- this uh, event in Chicago uh, and got me a 15-minute spot uh, to talk about Peoria. And then he, he said, I'd like to come down and visit. And my other colleague showed him around. And then a year later, he moved here. Yeah. Uh, because, but, but one of the values that we were able to kind of not just talk about, but display is that Peoria is small enough, and again, every time I say Peoria, I really mean greater Peoria, right? Not just the city. The Peoria area is small enough um, that whoever you want to talk to will get you away to talk to them. It's not a big city where you got to go through 18 different gatekeepers to get to the mayor of Peoria. You want the mayor of Peoria? She'll come talk to you. Phone right? number's on the website. Yeah. Like, you could just right. get it right now. You want, you want to talk to John Call in East Peoria? You know, or Mary, Gary, Gary Manier in Washington, we'll get you that. Like, I you got in contact with you quickly. Yeah, right. Yeah, from Caleb, right? Yeah. You know, so, because we're all fairly accessible, and we all want to see each other uh, succeed. And so we're we're big enough of a community that we have features to ourselves, right? We're not a one-trick pony. Uh, there's, you know, um, there's opportunity here. Um, but we're small enough that we're all kind of interconnected. And and you may feel this as a guy who's only been for two years. It does kind of feel like the biggest small town in America. Yeah. Uh, and it also, when I was 
early on, I said, did everybody go to high school together here? Yeah, you also get that vibe. Like, yeah. <laughs> they even call themselves the Spalding Mafia. That, that, I mean, they really all go to college, high school together because it did feel like that. Like, everybody seemed like they grew up here. But we actually have a, a lot of transplants that live yes. in, the, in the region because of Caterpillar, because of Bradley, because of the hospitals, uh, you know, um, you know, so or relationships, actually, but the, but but people do care for one another mm-hmm. in a way that I think is is very special and in a way that is hard to quantify and define. But when I talk to businesses about moving here or even businesses that are here, so I know a guy who can help you overcome that this is and, definitely yeah. the i know a guy or yeah. i know a person community. well i always joke with my staff my job is to know people after 18 years like my job is just to know know people yeah i'll tell you one thing i've really come to love about our conversation right now is i respect one how aware you are about things in our community and how open you are to con- have the conversation about it like that in itself i really enjoy that part um but also that even after 20 some odd years you still have this passion to talk. Like, as you're talking, I see the smile. I see the energy of it as you're reliving some of your accomplishments, but also the fact that there's a future. Like, it's not that you're stuck on what has happened, but what may and still can happen. That is awesome. I love seeing that, man. So two questions I got for you. One, what does Peoria mean to you as a transplant? Because I'm a transplant. You're now Peoria proud after 20 odd years. What has what does Peoria mean to you, the person? Yeah, you know, so you kind of said like Peoria's home. Now, my mom may or may not ever listen to this. <laughs> I might send it to her, <laughs> you know. And she, when I I left home at age 18, age 18 and went to college at the University of Notre Dame, and I never came home after that, right? Uh, and I love my mom, and I love uh, where I grew up, and I love being from California. But this is home to me. I raised two daughters here, uh, one who still lives here, one who's in college. Uh, and, you know, so this is home to me. When I come uh, uh, down 74 after being out of town for whatever reason, and I um, make that turn right past Fieldcrest, and yeah. kind of, you know, kind of pops open, and there you see downtown, and I know I'm home. So Peoria is, it feels like home to me. Hell yeah. So the one question I like to end the podcast on, I could talk to you for hours, man. I'm enjoying this conversation, but we we got lives we got to get to, unfortunately. Uh, We've lost all of your <laughs> listeners by now. Like, my God, is that guy gone for an hour and a half? Yeah, yeah. I got told keep him at 30, but when it's good and it's episode 50, man, we got to talk. This could be episode 50 and 51. <laughs> Maybe. It's all about how you split it up. Right. But when it's all said and done and your story, your personal chapter in life, this comes to a close. What do you want people to take away from that story? Ooh. That's that's a deep question to end on. You know, <laughs> I have lived, I have tried to make it so that my, that there's not a lot of distinction between my personal life and my professional life, which is maybe why I ended up in a, in a role like I did with economic development, where you kind of have to live your job, right? There's mm-hmm. not a real separation. But I remember a long time ago, um, my friend said to me that there are two types of people that work in this in this industry, and he was talking more about municipal work. He says there's public employees and there's public servants, and you know you want to be the public servant, you know. And and there's nothing wrong with being a public employee. You go to work, you, you punch a clock, you do your job, you get by. I've I've always believed in public service, uh, where I went to um, the University of Notre Dame. 
um, and got to know uh, a, a guy, Father Don McNeil, who was the head of the what was called the Center for Social Concerns. Kind of how I ended up in in social work to begin with, because I was going to be a lawyer, I was going to go into politics. Oh, you went a stuff. completely different yeah, way. Yeah, and I ended up a completely different way. And that's a whole that's that's podcast number three with you. We can <laughs> talk about how Chris got to where he is, but um, but but the idea of service to community became very important to me and actually modeled by my own parents who I didn't realize I was seeing it at the time, their involvement in church uh, and, you know, being on church council and, you know, the things that my mom does to this day. Uh, and, and so I would hope that, like, at the end of my career, right, like in my obituary, whether it's my professional obituary or my actual obituary, <laughs> I will be remembered as being a servant of the community. Um, and. And I try to say that with all humility, you know, right? Like services, you know, you have to be humble in your service as well. And I don't expect to have made um, big impressions, right? Like there's not going to be a building named after me. I don't any of that. I would hope that that, that would people, and, and this is what I tell my staff um, about kind of the ethos of our organization. I want people to come to us because they don't, if they don't know how to solve something, they think, well, maybe the GPDC can help. And that's kind of the way I've tried to build my own professional ethos is uh, Chris might not know the answer, but he'll help you get there. And that's really how I've tried to uh, come at my own career uh, <laughs> over is just to be the guy that uh, that um, people say, well, he'll at least try. A child of the coast, a servant <laughs> of the Midwest, Ooh. and a proud Peorian. Man, the child of the coast, the servant of the Midwest, that could be, if I ever decided to write an autobiography, that you've, I'm, I have to give you credit now. In the free forward. of charge, yeah, brother. Free, free of, of charge. Thank you, so I like that. <laughs> um, thanks so much, man. It, it, this has been a pleasure for conversation. I just hearing, because I don't know, I'll be honest, I don't know much of economical development and all this. This is all new Some territory. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the humility, brother. Yeah, right. <laughs> this has been episode 50 of the KZ Community Beat. Tis I, your host, Ross Martinez. And my guest for episode 50, Chris Setti, the CEO of Greater Peoria Economic Development Council. Man, brother, thank you so much, thank you. man. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, go back, listen to all the other 49 episodes, or Chris and I will repave your driveway. Right. Yeah. Or at least shovel the snow. <laughs> Did you hear the story of the person that got the driveway stolen? They got their driveway stolen? Yeah, they came back from, like, buying. So, quick story. This was viral. <laughs> on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> Screw it. This is how we're going out, brother. This is a very low production type of pod. Uh, <laughs> you're here for the story, you stay for the laughs. Uh, no, so she was out Christmas shopping, came back home, driveway was gone. Someone just stole it. Think about that. And we'll see you for episode All fucking right. what? <laughs> yeah, no, they stole her driveway. How do you steal a driveway?